Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. With all due respect, I reject your theory completely. But you know what? There needs to be some backlash to this. This would be disastrous. There really has to be a better way. And I think the biggest question here is, what the hell is going on? The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Move for present. Get in the race. Will he run? And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Well, good afternoon, Wisconsin. Eric Bilstadt, I am a believer. I admitted I had never heard of this before. I was skeptical, but I have now seen it work. I am talking about the power of burying the bottle. If you want to understand this, matter of fact, you can follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Wagner 620 I sent out a link to this story. I've, I've talked about this once or twice. I have... Um, I have very close friends, and they've been friends of my wife for the last 30 years, and their youngest daughter was getting married on Saturday at their house. Mm-hmm. And this was, it was an outdoor wedding for like 450 people. An outdoor wedding for 450 people. All right, so what happens if it rains? Well, all right, well, not to worry. They practice this Southern tradition where, and I didn't realize this until I got more details about this as time's been going on. But at 30 days before the event, what you do is you gather close friends together. You take a bottle of Jack Daniels bourbon whiskey. You bury it in the garden upside down where the wedding is going to be. Okay. And it guarantees you that the weather is going to be good. All right. So 30 days before Saturday. About two dozen of us gather in the garden, and they take, and, and of course, this is my friend Mike. Most people would have like a, a fifth. He, he's got like a liter of Jack Daniels <laughs> that they bury upside down in the garden. Like, We're going to dig that up after this, right? And they say, well, yeah, after the wedding's good. So they, they cover this all up. Okay, so we've got the bottle buried. So I'm watching, the wedding, the wedding was Saturday afternoon. I'm watching the forecast all week, sure. and, and my my wife was is a very dear friend of our friends, Mike and Kathy, and just loved the love the bride and so she's spending hours and hours helping out you know getting all this stuff mm-hmm. organized because as you might imagine a wedding that has 450 people has all these production elements and that's one of my wife's gifts that she's able to make that stuff um, work out and so I, I keep watching this weather forecast all last week and it was i mean it's talking about saturday about noah get ready to build a boat thunderstorms right, yeah, and yeah, stuff sure and and i keep wondering i keep saying hun what are they going to do if it if it rains? And she says, well, like umbrellas. But, I mean, because, I mean, this was an outdoor wedding, and they had huge tents for the receptions and stuff, but the wedding itself was in this garden, ah, and, okay. and the, the chairs are just out there, and you've got umbrellas and all. And, and so I'm, I'm watching this, and I'm watching this, and, myst- I mean, miraculously, like you wake up Saturday morning, and all the rain is out of the forecast. Mm-hmm. And it was just a, a flat-out beautiful day. So I am... I am now a here here's the story. I, I I tell this not to name drop, but so I'm I'm sitting towards the back and Don Smiley, you know, if summer okay. best, Don is sitting behind me. All right, and I, I hear he says to me, My God, what would they have done if it rained? And I said I said, No, no, it's it's not gonna rain. We buried the bottle. And Don says, What? And then I kind of explain <laughs> this thing to him and he and, 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 and he said to me, he says it. he says, Well, how about the he said, How about that sounds like a great thing for Summerfest. How about first day Wednesday, you're broadcasting from live. Why don't I bring a bottle of Jack Daniels and we'll, and we'll do the ceremony, we'll bury it. And, and I said, I'm all for that good mojo, Don. But then I was kind of investigating this, and later on I was told that it has to be 30 days before ah, the event. Okay. So I, I actually I sent, I sent Smiley a note this morning saying, 
I, I, I'm told that you need 30 days for, for the good mojo, so we'll have to do it next year. But um, will you join me one, 1 o'clock? He's going to be on the show on, when, when we're broadcasting from Summerfest mm-hmm. on Wednesday. But it was, it was just... It was just this miraculous thing. The clouds, you know, just parted. So what happened to the bottle? Did you dig it up Saturday night? Well, yes. As a matter of fact, the the father of the bride, my friend Mike, he's doing the toasts and stuff. And he says, I got to wait. I got to get my prop. And he he goes up and he he pulls out this mud encased bottle of of. And we're a big bottle of yeah, Jack Daniels, yeah. and yeah, they had after the wedding it came off. They had they had dug it up, so so they have it there. I have been promised that there is going to be another party, you know, mm. somewhere down the line where those of us who were responsible for creating the good mojo <laughs> go get to to drink the bottle of Jack Daniels. But right, uh, apparently, I, other people who've done this have said they've forgotten about it. You know, and, and they just have, haven't dug it up. And like right. three or four years later, somebody's digging in the garden. And they, what what the heck is this? But no, no, we, we dug that. That bottle has been dug up and it will be it <laughs> will be consumed. Good. But so if you are planning an outdoor wedding and you want the deal on this, I'm telling you is it worked. That That's all I'm telling you. I And if you want all the details, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. All right. Let's get started. We've got a lot of serious stuff to discuss and some kind of lighter stuff. It's a very eclectic show today. Let us start off with what I one of the more interesting stories of the week. Gru, you know who Cam Newton is. You're a football fan, right? Cam Newton, quarterback for the Carolina Panthers. Last Friday, he's in Paris, and he's flying from Paris to Charlotte, North Carolina, right? He he's scheduled on a flight and he's booked in in business class, you know, for the flight. The flight from Paris to Charlotte is like ten hours. And if I, I love travel, I love travel. I'm six one, two hundred plus pounds, and being in these economy seats for like eight, nine, ten hours, it's not a pleasant thing. And and I love travel, but it, I I hate that part of it. But of course, to upgrade to business class costs a fortune and things like that. So in any event. Newton is traveling from Paris to Charlotte. He misses his flight where he has the business class ticket. So, all right, what do you do next? Well, the next available flight, it's Paris to Dallas. And he says, okay, I'll take it. Then once I get to Dallas, I can get back to Charlotte. I'll take it. But they say, here's the problem. Business class is full. So you got to fly economy. And they say, he says, okay, I, I, I want to go. I want to fly economy. So they get him a, a window seat in economy. All right. He gets on the, and, and so he's waiting to get on the flight and stuff. And he, he's talking to some of the people that are going to be on the flight. Matter of fact, one guy comes up to him and recognized him as Cam Newton. And they have a, a nice conversation. All right. So they start boarding the plane. They're walking back into economy. The first row of, of economy, the way this thing is set up, it, it's on a bulkhead. So the first row, there's three seats, and there's no seats in front of them. So you have extra leg room, kind of like if you get on a Southwest flight or whatever, that first row has a little bit extra leg room. So there's this guy that Newton's been talking to um, in just you know casual conversation while they're waiting to board. He's sitting in the, the front row of economy. It's not a first-class seat or anything like that, but it's got a little bit of extra leg room because it's a bulkhead. So Newton is about four rows back, and he's got a window seat that doesn't have there, – there's a seat in front of him, so it's it doesn't have the extra leg room. So Newton stops and sees this guy, and he says, would you like to switch seats? 
And the guy says, well, what's in it for me? And anyhow, a negotiation breaks out between the two of them. Cam Newton offers this guy $1,500 to switch economy seats with him. So for $1,500, the guy would move back a couple rows and go to the window seat, but but he'd give up a little bit of leg room on this flight, which is about a 10-hour flight from Paris to Dallas. And so people start recording this. Newton offers the guy $1,500. He ends up saying no. He refuses the $1,500, and then I don't know if that was all, and that's where it stops. So then Newton goes, and he, he goes, sits in, in the window seat. The man turned down $1,500 to go back a couple rows and give up a little bit of extra space. It's not like, again, it's not like he would giving up his first-class seat. He's in economy. Newton's in economy. The guy just has that front-row seat, so he's got a little bit of extra leg room. Cam Newton says, hey, I'm six foot five. You know, I, this it would be more comfortable for me. He offered him 1500 bucks. The man said no. We have been talking about this all morning. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, look, I'm 6'1", 200 plus pounds. I value leg room a lot. I really do, which is why I try for the aisle seats. All right, if Cam Newton had offered me $1,500 to switch seats, my answer is, can I have the cash? And yes, here's your seat. I'll see you later on. I'm taking the $1,500. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Yeah, it's a little bit of, you know, I can put up with a lot more discomfort than cramming into that window seat for $1,500. Now, the guy didn't have to take it, and he didn't. I'm just saying $1,500, that would be worth it to me. What would you do? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you trading seats for 1500 bucks for the international flight? Jeff Wagner. We'll be talking about this in just a minute. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. All right, before we get to the calls, here's a couple texts. Mark from Bristol texts. This guy must have been very well off but because for $1,500, you could put me in a crate with the pets under the plane. Um... Glenn says, here's your seat, Cam. May I fluff your pillow? Um, there's that idea, too. Uh, let's see. Uh, I would have taken $100 and asked him to sign it. I'm 6'2". Um, another text, why wasn't Newton sitting in first class? I'm 6'4 and 250, and I'm taking the cash, but no check, please. No, he wasn't sitting in first class because he missed his flight. He had a, a, a business class seat on the earlier flight. He missed it. So this was the next one, and all the first-class seats were gone. Um, let's see. Joel from Menachie says, I would have switched seats in a heartbeat. 414-799-1620. Jim in Manitowoc. Jim, you're first. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Hey, I was on a flight from Vegas to Charlotte, North Carolina, and then going from there to St. Thomas. And I got on there. There's three sides or three seats on each side. And... I get in there, and this guy says to me, he goes, do you think you could move? And I'm like, move where? Do you want me to sit on the wing or what? Yeah. He goes, he throws me $500. He goes, do you think you could move? And yeah. I said, let me see what I can do. And I went, there's yeah. two big, I mean, fat guys. Yeah. I went to them. I said, here, I'll give you guys each 20 bucks if I can sit in the middle. The guy stinks over there. Yeah. 
And they're like, yep, yep, here you go. So 500 bucks, absolutely. 500 bucks. Yep. Well, my flight was $300 total then by the end because we yeah. another flight. So it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. Yeah, no, look, and I, I mean, I get it. I mean, I hate when we flew uh, my last international flight, we were coming back. We flew from um, Munich to Chicago, and it was a long flight. And I, yeah. I admit by the time I got off, I was, you know, I'd been, I had an aisle seat in economy, and I, I was a little bit stiff and sore, but um, yeah, if somebody had offered me fifteen hundred dollars to sit in the center seat, oh, yes, sir, yeah. I, I'll I'll take it. No, that, <laughs> no thank, thanks, down, right? Yeah. No, thanks. I mean, fi- I can do a, I can take a lot of trips on fifteen hundred dollars, I guess. And you know, and and again, it, when I first saw the story, I was thinking, okay, did he go to somebody in first class and offer him fifteen hundred bucks? Because that, in that case, it might not have. The first class ticket probably cost a thousand dollars more or something. But no, this is just switching seats in economy. Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey Jeff, how you doing? Real well, thank you. Okay, fifteen hundred bucks. Are you kidding? I'd do it for one hundred and fifty. <laughs> I'd say, you know what, one hundred and fifty. You buy me drinks. You buy me food. I'm on it. Right, and I want a signed jersey or something like that. You know, oh, and, I didn't care about the signatures. It's like, you know, <laughs> hey, I mean, one hundred and fifty bucks. that probably offset, you know, a good chunk of your your yeah. uh, fifteen hundred. Yeah. Goodness gracious, you could take another vacation with that. <laughs> That's it. I guess. I mean, it just—I was sitting there thinking, huh? I mean, if the guy had offered him like a hundred or two hundred, I—I mean, I—I understand that that might not have been enough. But I'm thinking fifteen. Now we all have our prices, mind you, but I don't—and I don't know where mine would have been. But once you got to once you got to a thousand bucks or so, I'm—I'm—I'm all in with that. I mean, that actually happened to me on a a flight. It was—it was was actually from um, New York to L.A. It was a long flight, but uh, um, there was a family that was split up, and. Um, they asked if I could, if I would switch or whatever. I said, yeah. You know, they didn't offer any money up. But right. Bought, oh, yeah. Bought me drinks and, and yeah. food the whole way. It was like, fine with me. I'm yeah. good to go. I mean, I don't really care. I mean, right. I mean, yeah, you know? exactly. Right. Sometimes you do that. Thanks for going just to be a nice guy. Okay. Now, here's a text. I think sometimes people throw money around to get their way. I give the guy credit for not selling out to a wealthy guy. Well, <laughs> Okay, it's not a question of selling out. He's giving you $1,500, okay? If some rich guy wants to give me $1,500 to switch seats, I, I don't, maybe I'm enabling the wealthy guy, but I'm still getting $1,500 for goodness sakes. Let's talk to Carol and Grafton. Hi, Carol, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Uh, okay, I you're going to be the naysayer on this, huh? Right. Okay. I, I'm not very big. I'm only 5'3". But I never fly unless I can have an aisle seat. I'm slightly, I'm claustrophobic, and to sit by the window for ten hours or in the middle for ten hours, I probably would jump right off the plane. Yeah. I, I, it's not enough money in the world to make me give up my aisle seat. Well, see, here's what here's what you do. You you get the. You get the fifteen hundred dollars, then you go back a few rows, and you probably ask to switch with somebody. Hey, can I can I sit in the uh, can I have the aisle and you take the window and, and I'll give you four hundred or something? You end up coming out ahead. Nah, nah, I still wouldn't do it. All I, right. I, I book my seat. That's why I run it, and I do it for that reason. I will never ever sit anywhere but on the aisle, and I actually like that front bulkhead seat because it oh. does give me more room, more space. Oh yeah, no, I mean, thanks. No, it, it's clearly. Don't get me wrong. It's clearly a better seat. All right, the guy was in a better seat, and he had, in my opinion, he had no obligation to give up that better seat out of the goodness of his heart. I just think the interesting aspect of the story is if somebody comes up and says, hey, I'm four rows back, I'm in the window, um, and I, I'm in the window, and, and I'm 6'5", and I, I'll i give you $1,500. You don't have an obligation to do it. I'm just saying I, I just, I'm not at the point in my life, and I don't think – 
I don't think I'm ever going to be at the point in my life where if somebody offers me $1,500 to move back four rows in that situation, I don't think I'm saying no to that. Just, just saying. This is Jeff Wagner. When we come back, we get a little more serious. Bernie Sanders, well, he's got the idea that's going to propel him to the presidency. Are you on board? Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Welcome back. So glad to have you. All right. You've got all these Democrats running for the Democrat nomination. They are trying to distinguish themselves from each other. And in some cases, there is this huge rush. How far to the left can we get? Well, Bernie Sanders, who's pretty far out there anyhow, is an avowed socialist. This is the proposal that he has come out with today. Now, follow me on this. Right now, there is about $1.6 trillion in student debt. There's about 45 million Americans who owe student loans in some fashion. Maybe it was for undergraduate, maybe it was for graduate, maybe you you graduated from school a long time ago, you still have debt, maybe you're in school now, doesn't matter. About 45 million Americans have some student debt. It totals $1.6 trillion. Bernie Sanders has announced today that if he was president, what he wants to do is he wants to wipe clean all that student debt. Your debt is forgiven. It doesn't matter if you owe $200,000 for medical school or law school. doesn't matter what. Any student debt you have is going to be erased. It doesn't matter if it's debt that you owe to the government or it doesn't matter if it's debt that you owe to banks. The federal government will wipe your debt clean. The taxpayers, meaning all the rest of us, we will pay to have somebody's student debt er- erased. Um, the estimates are, again, now he says, well, I, I'm, I'm going to tax Wall Street. I'm going to tax the wealthy. We're going to raise this money. We're going to wipe out student debt. Then he goes on to say, as part of that, all um, then what we're also going to do is we're going to all make all public universities, community colleges, and trade schools tuition-free. Right? I, I want to I talk about the first element of that, though. Right? If you have student debt that you are now paying off, I'm, I'm sure it's uh, it's a bit of a burden. I have no doubt about it. If, like me, you had a student loan that you paid off a long time ago, it was a bit of a burden. All right, America 2020, should the taxpayers be paying off all student debt, all those obligations that people undertook, all those payments that people are making, should we just say, never mind? 414-799-1620, I think it's crazy. But let's discuss. Bernie Sanders is serious. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We're back. First text. Jeff, what about that $60,000 in school debt I just paid off? Well, thank you very much. But no, if, if you've paid off your school debt, you are not covered by this. Bernie Sanders is only concerned about the people who still owe money. $1.6 trillion, 45 million Americans. He would wipe the slate clean and the rest of us would pay for it. Let's start with Frank in Mount Pleasant. Frank, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. How are you today? I am well, thank you, sir. What do you think? Well, I don't want to do that. <laughs> first of all, my wife and I paid college tuition for our three kids. I don't want to pay for anybody else's at this point. Mm-hmm. And I have an a alternative suggestion. If Bernie thinks America and the citizens of America are all for this, 
then he won't have trouble raising it if he becomes president. All he has to do is on the federal income tax form have a checkbox that says, I want to help reduce student debt. Right. This is how much I want to contribute, and I bet you he won't get anything, uh, hardly anything. Very, very little. Well, I guess, Frank, my, my question is, you know, you, okay, so you paid for your kid's college. Well, why, why, what difference does it make? Let's say that you paid the, the your kid's college debt off a, a year ago. I mean, why is that any different from somebody who might be, you know, the kid who has student loans two years from now? I mean, I, I think candidly, if we're going to have the taxpayers pay for college or postgraduate stuff, I think you should be entitled to a rebate. I think I should be entitled to a rebate. I took out loans to go to law school. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Why not? Exactly. I'll, I'll wait. Thanks for calling. I, I want my check to be in, in the mail. Here's the other interesting thing about the Sanders proposal, which is why it goes so much further than even some of the Looney Tune proposals of other people. Sanders, he, he doesn't care about family income, and he doesn't care about how much money you're making. Put this in perspective. Let's say that you went to – you took out loans – you have graduated from Harvard Law School, and, and you've got maybe you've got two hundred grand in student loans. All right, undergraduate law school, two hundred grand. That's probably not an unrealistic amount. All right, let's say you are also working at a silk stocking law firm in New York, and you are pulling in half a million dollars a year. Okay, he, he would wipe out that two hundred thousand. It doesn't matter how much money you're making. You know, you you've gone to medical school, and now you're a doctor making half a million dollars a year, or three or four hundred thousand dollars a year. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what your assets are. It doesn't matter in Bernie's mind whether your family is wealthy. Okay, so, um, all right, the you know Chris Abley, you know Chris Abley has kids, and Chris Abley decides here we want to take out student loans. We're gonna we call it. We're gonna take out student loans to pay for the kids' education because we think it's a good investment or whatever. Well, okay, doesn't matter if daddy's worth you know or granddaddy's worth billions of dollars. You would still get your student loans paid for. Really, Lisa in Mequon. Lisa, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. You alluded to part of what I was saying. Uh, I'm not for it uh, at all. As um, liberal as I am, I am not supportive of that. I um, do recall, though, my parents going to college for very reasonable. Uh, it wasn't discussed. You mm-hmm. went to high school and you went to college. You just did, and uh, it wasn't a, a financial uh, burden. And. I'm hoping that instead of wiping it out, that we could make these state colleges and technical universities, whatever, uh, back to way affordable. More affordable. Mm-hmm. And for those who have paid off high debts, there should be some kind of a rebate on a tax form, I believe, uh, if you're going to go back to those real affordable um uh, well, well, let me ask college. this. I mean, how how far does that mean that somebody like me who graduated yep. from law school forty years ago, you think I should be able to put I in do. a claim for a rebate? Huh. I do. Huh? I do. Well, I, I'm I I'm all in favor of that because that would help me out. I just I'm not sure how. <laughs> I, I mean, what's in it for me? I'm not sure how practical that is. But I, on your point of of affordable access to college, I'm with you. You know, which is I mean, I think one of the things that's contributed to student debt is it's been this huge cycle because schools 
have largely been allowed to raise their tuitions with very, very little restrictions. And people have been able to get the, the student loans, um, so they've had to take out increasingly large student loans because tuition keeps going up and going up and going up, and then you end up getting out of college and you've got these huge this huge debt and the job market sucks and the universities have your money. So I, I agree it's been a vicious cycle. I just don't think the taxpayers can... Can, I don't think we can take a $1.6 trillion and wipe away I, all the student debt. Agreed. Completely agreed. Thanks for the call. See, we can rash, we can agree to get and that's And I think that's – there are issues with affordability, and, and I don't – I don't downplay that at all. And again, I, I think if you look at this this vicious cycle that has been out there, it's exactly what Lisa and I were just talking about, where you have colleges that for years and years have just raised tuition, raised tuition, raised tuition, and nobody's thought of this. It, people have just said, okay, well, I'm going to borrow more and more money. And so then they have these huge debts. And like I said, the economy, they can't get jobs that pay, pay this stuff off. The universities don't care because they've got their dough. It has been a very, very vicious cycle. So I, I don't, there's all sorts of of things you can do to deal with affordability of college. That's why I applaud in Wisconsin the fact that the legislature has once again frozen in-state tuition. Uh, now, I, you, you can argue maybe they should cut it. Maybe they should make it free. But at least I think freezing in-state tuition, I think that's a, a very, very positive thing that is out there. Here's a text. Jeff, the thought of this makes my head explode. How many will become perpetual students? How many will party and not graduate? Yeah, I put myself through school by working full-time and going to school full-time. If you truly want to go to school, you will find a way to make it work. I, I, I always go back to the example when I think about this, about my, my late wife who was, um, you know, grew up in a, a family that did not have a lot of money. Okay, but she she was dedicated. She wanted to go to college. She wanted to go to law school, and she just worked her butt off. And she worked two or three jobs to put herself. She went to UWM. She her grades were good enough. She could have probably gone to other schools, but she went to UWM. She commuted. She did all that. She got her degree, um, and then you know she got scholarships to go to Marquette University Law School, which is where we met. But I mean, and you know scholarships and working and putting herself together, and and yeah, she came out with a bunch of big student loan student loans that candidly. I mean, it took us a while to pay off. You know, it, it took us a while to pay off that student debt, you know, but it was worth it. But again, I do wonder if you say, okay, it's going to be a free lunch, what are you really saying to people? And I understand that student debt is a problem, and I understand that it's meaning that people, okay, if you've got big student debt and you're underemployed, that means that maybe you have to delay buying a house or things like that. But at the same time, those are decisions that you have made. I mean, if we're going to wipe out student debt, why don't we wipe out mortgage debt? I mean, there's a lot of, can I see a show of hands? Everybody who's paying a whole bunch of money on your mortgage to live in your house, and if you didn't have to make that mortgage payment, you could do all sorts of other stuff as far as buying things. I, this, this is what's going to happen in this presidential race. And I will tell you, this is the type of stuff that, in my opinion, gets Donald Trump reelected. Mark my words on this. It's, it's this race to the left. That this race towards socialism, this race towards we're going to give everybody everything that they could possibly want. You want Medicare for all? All right. You want us to do away with the private insurance system? You want us to unemploy millions of people who work in the insurance industry? You want us to have Medicare for all? Okay, that's trillions of dollars. You want us to wipe out all student loans? That's going on $2 trillion. How are we going to pay for this? Well, okay, we're going to find anybody that has any money, and we're going to take it away. 
one more thought on this whole idea of the student loan wipeout. I cannot imagine a more regressive tax policy than this. And by regressive, I mean something that disproportionately impacts lower income people. Well, well, what do you mean, Jeff? I I mean, everybody has student loan debt. No, no. If you look at the numbers, what you will find that the greater concentration of student loan debt is held among wealthier families. I mean, that, that's just, yes, there, there are people, you know, um, who come from low-income families who have amassed student loan debt. That, there's no question about it. But there's a lot more where the families, the income is like over $100,000, and, you know, you're going to college, and all our kids are going to college, and we're going to take out loans to make sure to do it. So, I mean, a large amount of this this buyout, I mean, it's going to be going to wealthier families. I don't know that Bernie necessarily thought that through. All he wants is the headline, and he wants people going, oh, that would be really cool. I'd like to not have to make my student loan payments. Well, I mean, I'd like to eat all the ice cream I can and not gain weight. It just doesn't work that way. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. I have a text from Scott who says, wow, if I had known they'd pay back or rebate people with loans, I wouldn't have paid for my kids' college. I would have had them take loans. Yep, 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 yep. If this goes through and Bernie Sanders becomes president and gets his way, any of you, any of you who paid a dime towards your kids' college education instead of taking out loans, you're a sucker. Any of you who worked your way through college. You know, I mean, it, the deal is, here, I, I'm I'm going to, maybe I would have loved to go to some fancy private university out east, but I, I can't afford that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to stay closer to home, and I'm going to go to the local school, and you know what? I'm, I'm going to work two jobs while I'm going to school, and I'm going to work summers, and I'm going to take night classes and all that, but but I'm going to pay my own way. Every single one of you who did that, sucker, you should have just waited for Bernie Sanders to come along because you could have just taken a student loan out and the benevolent federal government using other people's money would, in fact, bail you out. I'm sorry. I just don't think that I I understand the appeal of this, which is why I was kind of jokingly talking to our caller, Lisa, a little while ago, saying, well, 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 what about me? I mean, I I took out student loans. My my wife took out a lot. My late wife took out a lot of student loans. Why why shouldn't we be entitled to? I mean, if you if if some doctor who's making a half a million dollars a year, if his or her student loans get to be wiped out, why the heck shouldn't my student loans be wiped out or my late wife's student loans be wiped out? I mean, really? I mean, kind of give me a break here. Um, that, But that's where we are in America in 2020, I guess. Where we are in Wisconsin in 2019, June, is Summerfest. First day of Summerfest is two days from now, Wednesday. We will be broadcasting live from Summerfest. I'm going to be down there. It gates open at 12 noon. We will be on the air at 12. Matter of fact, uh, Summerfest CEO Don Smiley is going to join me during the 1 o'clock hour on Wednesday, I want you to come down and say hi. I have a pair of tickets to Summerfest. This is weekday admission tickets. Weekday admission tickets to Summerfest. I've got a pair of them. Let's give them to caller number 13, lucky 13, 414-799-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Caller 13 wins a pair of tickets 
to Summerfest 2019. It kicks off two days from today. This is Jeff Wagner. We have our winner. Um, Keep listening. Tomorrow we'll have another opportunity for you to win some tickets to Summerfest. This story just keeps getting worse and worse. I'm talking about the story of uh, Dante James. He is, use whatever word you want, he's the guy who, while drunk, blows through the red light at 60th and Capitol at 1.30 last week, hits and kills the off-duty police officer driving home from work. He's the guy, this is Dante James, who shouldn't have been out on the street in the first place, except... Let's name names. Milwaukee County Circuit Judge Dennis Simple, when he had an opportunity to put James in prison for a long period of time after he sustained his fourth OWI conviction, Simple punted. Didn't 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 put him in prison, sent him to the House of Correction with work release privileges for a period of time. And so James was out on the street when he really, in my opinion, should have been behind bars. But, of course, the story gets even worse because this this drunk who is now on parole or supervised release for his fourth offense, drunk driving, gets stopped while driving, gets stopped for speeding a few weeks before the fatal accident. And for reasons that just boggle the imagination, he's not arrested. There's no effort to revoke his probation. He is simply sent on his way. This is somebody who's got no valid driver's license, who's on supervised release for fourth offense drunk driving, who's caught speeding, and he, he's just, nothing's happened. Nothing happens to him after he's arrested for speeding. He's given a ticket. It's a, a, And a ticket for driving without insurance. No kidding. It's just absolutely appalling. Well, the story gets even worse, apparently. What they've done is they've recreated the day before he, he ended up killing the off-duty police officer. Apparently what happened is he showed up at work earlier that, that Monday. This was like a Tuesday morning. He showed up at work drunk, and the workplace took him to a clinic. They ran a breathalyzer. He asked the staff if they could rig the breathalyzer or if he could pay for somebody else to take it. Um, they said no. He registered .176 blood alcohol level. Now, this is early. He shows he shows up dead drunk. So more than twice the legal level uh, considered proof for being drunk. He was immediately fired. All right. So, all right. He, he's been fired for showing up at work drunk. So what does he do? He apparently goes over to his cousin's house, continues drinking, then drives to a bar where he continues drinking beers and at least a shot before he was kicked out of the bar. And then having left the bar, he blows through the red light. Now, I've got some questions about this, too, including this guy must have been just absolutely blind drunk. You know, what's going on at this bar that they're continuing to serve this guy to the point that they have to kick him out, presumably because he's so drunk and belligerent? I mean, what? maybe this was one where maybe somebody should have made that call in the first place, but of course... Given the way we treat repeat drunk drivers around here, even if they had called him and if he'd gotten behind the wheel of a car, well, they would have probably just sent him on his way anyhow. But if you want in a microcosm everything that's wrong with the drunken driving laws in this state, this is that case. This is Jeff Wagner. When we come back, the Department of Transportation says, what's everybody so upset about? Well, I'll give them a clue. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. I'm sorry 
I don't buy what the DOT is saying, and I think it is disturbing that they don't recognize that they have a problem. Now, Eric Bilstadt, I'm not going to drag you into this entire conversation okay. for obvious reasons, but I, I want you to be my witness. There, over the last couple months, particularly since this I-94 road construction has been going on, the widening the road from the state line to Milwaukee County, uh, you have, as somebody who does the news, you or some of your associates, it seems like a couple times a week, you are in here with traffic reports involving vehicles that have broken down, collisions, etc. in that road work. Always Is that seems fair? To be, yep, always seems to be around Highway 20, right. give or it, take a few miles north right. or and, so. And, and this is, as somebody who's done this for 20-some years, I mean, we always have, like, the breaking traffic reports, mm-hmm. but there's something with that area that has generated a lot of, of problems over over the last several months. So that is yeah. not an unf- you, You're with me on that I'm one. I'm noticing that, too, yes. Okay, all right, now I will... Now I will let you go because I don't want to drag you into the opinion portion <laughs> of, you, of this program. Okay, so it's just been a recurring theme. There, and, and, of course, what's going on is it, it's a widening of the freeway process. And it's something I understand you've got to do all the road work. No question about it. It's something that's needed. But what there's a number of things that they could have done a, in order to deal with this. For example, they could have gone from three lanes to two and gone with kind of like a zipper merge and had wider wider lanes. Now, that would have caused certain traffic backups, no question about it. What they decided to do instead was they, they, went, they kept it with three lanes, but they are very, very narrow lanes. And if you have driven through that area, they're narrow lanes, and, and it's, it's zigzag. You know, you swerve in and out, and the uh, southbound traffic and northbound traffic are, are separated by a narrow concrete barrier so you're you're very close to the oncoming traffic and they reduce the speed from 70 to 60 the department of transportation says well you know according to our regs this is a perfectly safe way to do it okay well it's it's been a problem for a long time in part because there there's no there's no shoulder there's no side road if a car breaks down in this area or there's a collision or an accident in this area, there's no way to get to it easily to, to get it off, you know, and get it out of traffic. So that's been part of the problem as well, that there's really no access for, for emergency vehicles as a general rule. But you've also got the, these, it's a heavily trafficked corridor, and especially during the week, there's lots and lots of trucks that are doing this. So... Yesterday or last week, what what happened? Of course, everybody remember the story. You had the the truck that was heading southbound, and it, it changed lanes or lost control or something, and it was it ended up being in the the left hand lane, which is the one that they want the trucks to drive in, and it smacked into the the concrete barrier separating the north and southbound traffic, knocking the barrier into the northbound lanes you had a couple cars which then hit the barrier and then you had the semi that was coming up on it driving northbound and the driver who ended up losing his life he he swerved the semi veered the semi off the road to avoid plowing into these cars he ended up losing his life and and everybody knows the story that the freeway was closed forever and ever we we spent about 45 minutes more time than i typically spend on on segments taking calls from people who drive that on a regular basis. Um, and, and the general consensus 
if I could use, and I think it's one word, there's no hyphen, to describe how people were perceiving this area was was death trap. Just, I mean, we, we took one call for people from people one after another, truck driver or people who travel that who said that this is just a mess. We, you know, we, we, we stopped doing this or it's just hazardous. And, you know, we, we recognize that this is nothing but a problem. Well, I actually, I, I understand that the DOT might have done this with the idea of, okay, well, we, we, we want to keep the traffic flowing, and, and this is our standard. But I, I really thought that maybe after getting all this public feedback and and then hearing, you know, having this horrible thing that happened last week and getting the public feedback and, you know, listening to all these different people who are saying, you know, this is a hazard. We just don't drive this. I was thinking that maybe, just maybe, moving forward for the balance of the project, and nobody's saying you cancel the project, maybe we think about doing something different. Maybe, you know, we, we do reduce this to two lanes instead of three, but we make the lanes wider and we try to make it a little bit less swervy or, or whatever so you don't have all these people navigating back and forth. And again, nothing's a perfect solution because you got to get the construction done, but at least a recognition that what's going on isn't really working that well. Um, that has not been the response by the, the DOT. The Department of Transportation says that, yes, to accommodate the project, lanes and shoulders were narrowed, the speed limit was lowered, um, this is our standard safety protocol, um, etc. All right, our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, the way this is set up may very well be within a standard safety protocol. But I guess my question is, is this working? And given the fact that this project is going to continue for a number of more months, do we need to rethink how we are getting traffic through that corridor lest something like this happen again? And one of the reasons I started this conversation with my discussion with Eric Bilstadt was this is not this, this what happened last week with the huge you know collision and the loss of life i understand that was an extreme example but but this has been a problem and it's been a problem for a long time and those of us who again in my case do a radio show that's interrupted on a regular basis by traffic reports of problems in that area day after day week after week this was the type of thing that i would argue perhaps is foreseeable, but moving forward, maybe we need to adjust this. Maybe we need to say, okay, let's go from three lanes to two. Let's make these lanes wider. Will it delay people? Yes. Maybe it means during this construction zone, we got to drop the speed limit down. Maybe 60 is too fast, given how narrow these lanes are. Maybe we should drop it down to 50 and vigorously enforce it. I don't know. Maybe there's other ideas, like maybe truck traffic should be rerouted onto one of the frontage roads. I'm just, do we need to do something? And if we don't do something, should we be surprised if a horrible tragedy like what happened last week happens again? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, do we just keep doing what we're doing, or is that the definition of insanity? I would argue we should be proactively trying to figure out what we can do to prevent this. As a starting point, I think you got to lower the speed limit. That's just me. 414-799 and enforce it. 414-799-1620 is doing nothing in answer. We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. 
Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with you with us. Let's start with Scott in Waukesha. Scott, hello. Hey, Jeff. How are you today? I am well, thank you. Can we just do nothing, or should something be done before something like this happens again? Something has to be done. Um, and I've been saying this for years and years in construction zones and or in and around Milwaukee. I'm a truck driver. I travel these stretches all day, every day, seven, five days a week. You know, I mean, I go through that stretch there. I miss that accident by 10 minutes. There's signs posted on that stretch in the construction zone that trucks must use the left lane. And I guarantee if you go down there, there is maybe one or two trucks in that left lane every two miles. The rest of them are in the middle lane and the right lane. None of them obey the speed limit. Nobody obeys the speed limit. The most I ever go through there is 62, and I'm in the left lane. Right. And then when you get other trucks that aren't in the left lane like they're supposed to be, like it's posted, then you have cars zooming in and out doing 70, 75 miles an hour, 15, sometimes 20 miles an hour over the speed limit, and that's what's going to cause your problem. Now, my understanding, Scott, I I was trying to explore this. The reason they're putting trucks in the left lane is that that's supposedly the most level lane of the three, I think. At least that's what I heard. Yeah, most construction zones will put trucks in the left lane because trucks aren't as fast, and they're generally closer to the construction workers. Right. So, And trucks are probably more likely to obey the law than cars are. So it, it's, a logical, it's a logical thing that the DOT does by putting trucks in the left lane. It also helps with merging traffic in construction zones where there's merging lanes from ramps. Right. You know, and right. then you're not fighting with trucks, trying to merge with traffic. Right. You know, the only reason trucks should be in the right two lanes is to get off the highway, off a ramp. That's so, the only reason they need so, to be in So your lane. starting point is they've got these rules, enforce trucks in the left lane, and vigorously enforce speed limits. Would you be in favor of lowering, lowering the speed limits in Absolutely some of those areas? need yeah. to lower the speed limit. I just went north today to go up to Appleton, and I went through the construction zone just short of Menominee Falls there, where they're working in the middle. They don't even have concrete barriers up, and they got guys working in the left lane, and they haven't even lowered the speed limit from 70. It's still yeah. 70 miles an hour, and the only thing separating these guys from a truck or any other traffic is an orange barrel. Yep. That's it. Yep, at 70 That's miles ridiculous. an hour. No, th- thanks for the call. I mean, again, and I look, I, I, I understand impatience. I, I, I don't like to get caught in traffic any more than anybody else. Um, two weeks ago, Sunday, I, I drove that stretch, and you know it was Sunday afternoon, and we got through it with you know relatively unscathed. But you're, you're swinging, you're swerving back and forth. The lanes are narrowing. I understand why it has been such a problem area, and I get that the Department of Transportation says, well, we, we're we're following the safety protocols. But but you know, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, and being surprised the results aren't different. You know, maybe before this happens again, you got to figure out something else, and maybe that's lowering the speed. It. Maybe it's more vigorously enforcing the rules. If you know, if you don't, if it doesn't make sense to lower it from you know three lanes to two, okay. But I think that's something that needs to be on the table as well. Let's talk to Anne in Whitefish Bay. Hi, Anne. You're on WTMJ. Oh, hi. Thanks for taking my call. I sure. tried to get on um, last week, but um, I drive this quite often. My kids live a little past O'Hare, and. Um, Definitely, this is a definition of insanity, and I would like to volunteer or have you tell me where to go so I can get something done ASAP. Number, I think number three, I think two lanes, okay, it, 
it might be slower, but I think it has to go down to two lanes. Speed needs to change. I was driving back on Mother's Day, which you know is a Sunday, so there's less, less traffic. However, I happened to be driving at a time where I was surrounded by trucks. I was in the middle lane. I was trying just to go 60 or 65, which I thought was too fast. Mm-hmm. But I had to go faster because the truck behind me was right on my tail. I had two trucks beside me, and I just thought, where are the, the police? Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely I think I would like to work on a committee because mm-hmm. I think this is an accident waiting to happen again and again and again. Well, yeah. I mean, and again, one of the things, if if what happened last week was the only time there had been a problem. You say, okay, well, this, this is a well-designed thing, and just accidents happen. But like I was saying, on, on a regular basis, multiple times a week, there will be a problem in that area that has the thing shut down or has traffic delayed or backed up for miles and miles and miles. And I understand the construction work's got to get done, but what they're doing now it can't be the best way to handle it. It, it just can't. And maybe, and maybe you're right. Maybe it's as simple as saying we're going to dramatically lower the speed limit. It's going to upset people because they're going to have to wait a little bit. But you know, at least maybe we're not going to have accidents. And, and if that's what they have to do, why the heck aren't they doing it? Well, that's what I'd like to know. And that's why I keep my name and number. And if you, um, I'll volunteer to help, to do something, to write letters, to get petitions. Because... Yeah. You know, I have my grandkids down there, and I certainly yeah. don't want to be in the car and have something happen like it did the other day. No, absolutely. No, thanks. For, and that, that's what, when we talked about this last week, it was call after call after call of people saying, you know, we're, we're just, we are avoiding this area at all costs because it's just so dangerous. Here's some text. Jeff, if you want to stop the accidents, enforce the speed limit. Nobody drives the speed limit, including construction vehicles. Everybody is from 10 to 20 miles an hour faster than the speed limit. Well, I'm going to tell you something. If you're going through that area with those narrow lanes and you're going through at 70 or 75 miles an hour, it is a miracle that you're not getting, you know, hurt or in an accident another text just speed is the issue you need a sheriff's pace car driving through the work zone all day long matt says you always see the signs fines double in work zones increase the number of speeding tickets issued people may in fact slow down um you know there's always that concern kelly in greenfield says jeff my husband drives this route every day something has to be done before more people lose their lives rick and racine hi rick you're on wtmj Hi. Yeah, I agree with all the other callers. It's speed. Uh-huh. Uh, I went down to O'Hare uh, last week, and I thought, I'm going to set my uh, cruise control at 60, and I'm in the right lane. I'm doing 60, and I had everybody pass me like I was standing <laughs> still, and trucks, I'll tell you what, none of them were doing the speed limit. I had one guy go by me at at least 75 miles an hour. He went flying down the middle, down the middle uh, lane. lane there. In the middle lane, I thought, oh, my goodness. They need to get maybe get three cops, to, cars to go down, you mm-hmm. know, side by side at the speed limit and just get everyone to slow down and yeah. do that every now and then or something. But they they got to do something to cut the speed. Too okay. many people drive too so, fast. So, you know, true story, Rick, you, you know, you just talked about how you set your cruise control. I just got a text. This is the text. Jeff, I make two trips a day, Milwaukee to Chicago. I set my cruise control at 60 miles an hour, just like you said. I set my cruise control at 60 miles an hour. I feel like I'm going to get run over. I'm cut off. People flip me off, give me dirty looks, and I'm driving 60, the speed limit, through the area. Yeah, exactly. Now when I go down, now I just go down Highway 31, 
into Kenosha and then get out, come out Highway 50 there and get on the freeway. Um, yeah, no, th- thanks for call. I mean, I get here. I mean, here's the bottom line. And look, I <clears throat> I understand that they they have all these computer models and you've got safety protocols and you set it up and nobody wants to see. Nobody wants to see people lose their lives, and I'm not suggesting that anybody at the Department of Transportation has that as an ulterior motive. This is a mess, and it's been a mess for a while, and the mess just reached hot mess standards last week when you finally had something that was so bad that it ended up with the loss of life. All right, well, here's the bottom line of this. You can't keep doing the same thing. Yes, you got to complete the construction. Yes, you got to get, get done. I understand all that. But before somebody else loses their life in this area, maybe we should take a hard look at, all right, if people are speeding through this area and that's what's causing all the problems, all right, let's let's put more cops out there. Let's station state patrol people out there to write tickets en masse to the people that are doing it so the word will get out. If there's other things that you could do, if truckers are supposed to be in the left lane and they're not doing it, well, okay, let's start writing tickets there. If people are driving in a reckless fashion, let's give them citations, and maybe let's explore perhaps other things as well. Uh, maybe this doesn't work as a zipper merge. I, I don't know, but it sure worked as a zipper merge when we were doing the zoo reconstruction. Why, why if that worked there, why doesn't it work here? Doing nothing isn't an answer. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Okay, crew, help me out here. Do you read L Magazine, E-L-L-E? No, you're looking at me, no. Okay, does Mrs. Grew perhaps read L Magazine? So L Magazine is not lying around your home. Okay, All right. Does she ever read Cosmo? You know, does you, you, does no, she, we get like cooking magazines. That's okay. It. I mean, so she's not like taking the test, find out, you know, how your man is, you know, in the kitchen or in the living room or whatever. No, I get the great report every week. So uh, is that okay? Got it. There you go. Okay. Well, I'm I'm not particularly familiar with L Magazine either. Matter of fact, I. I think I've probably gone through my entire lifetime, and I have never opened the cover of Elle magazine. But in, if I were, Elle magazine has there, there's an advice columnist who, and I assume this is like life advice. Um, the her name is the the column is called Ask E Jean, and it's written by a woman named Jean Carroll. Okay, and she's based out of of New York. She now everybody has heard of her. Because she has written a, a book, and the book is coming out, and it's called What Do We Need Men For? And it essentially, the, the, the premise, I think, of the book is that we men are lousy fill-in-the-blanks, and, you know, that, that life would be better if we weren't around. I think that that's kind of it. And in the book, she apparently describes all these various instances where she has been harassed and mistreated by a series of men. Okay, um... So she names names in this book, and and one of the people that she says sexually assaulted her um, at at one point in time in her life was was Harvey Weinstein. You know the guy who's oh no no I'm sorry I apologize it, it's uh, the the guy from CBS Les Moonves. She says she says he he sexually assaulted her. So that's one of the names she names. She also names Donald Trump. Here's here's what she says happened. She says this incident occurred. Sometime in either 1995 or 1996. She's not, she's not sure precisely when. She said she was in um, a, a very high-end department store 
in in New York City. And apparently what, what she says is that she had she had known she wasn't a close personal friend of Donald Trump or anything, but they had they had run into each other at, at various you know, social events in New York. You know, her her and her husband would go to these parties and Trump and his wife of the time would be there as well. Okay, she says that she's in Bergdorf Goodman, which is a high-end department store in New York, sometime in 1995 or 1996. She says that Trump recognized her as the advice lady as he arrived at the Fifth Avenue store just as she was leaving. Now, this is what she writes. She says she said Trump invited her to help him buy a present for an unidentified, quote, girl, end quote, and she agreed. She said that after Trump suggested a purchase of lingerie or underwear, he grabbed a bodysuit and urged her to try it on. Now, this is in the department store. After some joking around about which one of them should try it on, Trump led Carol, this is the woman, to a dressing room where she alleges he pushed her against a wall, pulled down her tights, and then forced himself on her. She's a little bit unclear as to exactly what happened, but, um, you know, he, he says that, you know, he, he he touched her inappropriately. No, there's no question about that. All right. Now, she said that there were no attendants in the dressing room. She did not file a report with the New York Police Department. Um, she said that she told two of her friends... Shortly after this happened, one of whom urged her to contact the police, while the other advised her to keep quiet, citing Trump's access to lawyers. Okay, and and that's the story. She said she said nothing publicly. This happened ninety five or nineteen ninety six. So now it's you know twenty plus years later. She's writing this book, and she's got this included in 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 the book. Um, Trump, for his part, says never happened. I I, I don't. I don't know her. I mean, there's a picture of the two of them with their respective spouses together from like the 80s. He said, you know, we, we might have run into each other, I guess, at parties and stuff. I, I don't know who this woman is. There's no witnesses. This didn't happen. He denies. He denies. He denies. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. All right. What, if anything, do we do with this? There have been scores of women during the the 2016 campaign who came forward and said that you know they had they had been touched inappropriately by Donald Trump now now president Trump um Trump for his part has always denied this none of the claims really got a lot of action they're they're all in large measure they're they're beyond the statute of limitations for any sort of criminal activity um there are defamation suits you've of course got the the whole stormy daniels thing which has been floating around you know for the, the longest time that of course stormy daniels being the pornographic film actress who says she had a one night stand with donald trump etc cetera, etc cetera. all right Campaign for 2020 is about to get started, if it hasn't already. Democratic debates are this week. All right, what do we make of these latest allegations? Does it matter? Do you think he did it? And if he did do it, what, what in fact should happen? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Put another way, does anybody care? I mean, if this... There is a whole collection of allegedly bad behavior engaged in by Donald Trump, 
billionaire New York real estate developer, self-styled playboy and man of the world. Um, if, if he did, in fact, do something like this in 1995 or 96, and the lady never reported it, now it's 20-plus years later, where do we go with this, if anywhere? 414-799-1620, will this cause anybody to change their opinion about President Trump? If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right. Another woman coming forward saying 1995 or 1996, I was inappropriately groped, felt up by, you know, Donald Trump. Um, we, he came, he followed me into this dressing room and inappropriately touched me. I didn't tell anybody about it. I told a couple of my friends, but they said, don't do anything. Haven't said anything. Now I'm writing this book and I, I'm bringing this up. Yes, my question is, th- th- does this matter at this point in time? Is is the fact that Donald Trump has this certain relationship with women over the, the years, and there's one woman after another makes these allegations. I guess my take is this is kind of baked into the Trump public persona, and I, I don't know that one more woman coming forward and saying something like this happened 20 or 25 years ago, and do, do I believe her? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Is it part of a continuing pattern involving the president? Yeah, probably. But it's a couple decades ago. As a practical matter, is, is it going to change anybody's opinion? If you think Donald Trump is, is a lout and a clown, yes, you're going to say, of course, this happened. If you think he's being unjustly accused and this is just somebody trying to capitalize and sell books, well, that's what you're going to think as well. 414-799-1620. Sally in Milwaukee. Sally, you're on WTMJ. Yes, I I heard it. My question is, if this happened, why would she wait until now? If it happened then, Mm -hmm. what was wrong with her letting the manager know at a store, the security and the police know, and going to to the hospital? Mm -hmm. Why wait until years from now and say this happened? I think it's wrong. Yeah, well, she, I'll tell you why. I mean, she she obviously wants to sell books. You know, she's got this That's book right. coming out. So, I yeah, I mean, and it's coming up to elections, and I'm hearing this from a lot of churches with the ministers messing with with, with these women and, and men, but the boys and then the parents go wait. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're just the same. Well, okay, well, Sally, her, her, what she says is, okay, Donald Trump. Donald Trump was this powerful guy. She she was concerned that if she came forward, you know, she'd have to mess with his lawyers and stuff like that. I mean, do you, do you buy that at all? No. Okay. No, because if he touched her inappropriately, whether or not she got a mess with justice is justice. Right. Right. No, thanks for going. I mean, again, that that's a. You know, this is, and again, I, I, I don't know, I don't know what, if anything, went on between the two of them in some Bergdorf, you know, dressing room, you know, in 1996. And, and it's, it's tough to be able to, to recreate it. It is unfortunate if this really, in fact, happened that, that she didn't, you know, go to, go to some security official or call the police or at least get some sort of contemporaneous report instead of just waiting, you know, 20 some years to to bring this up because it does make you wonder about what the motives are. I guess the bottom line is I don't know if it happened or or not. I I do think that when you, you know, wait 20 or 25 years and bring it up in the context of this tell all book that you're writing, it, it's, it, 
it stretches your credibility. At the same time, it is part of a pattern with the way Donald Trump, the playboy back in the years, you know, I, I guess, could I see him doing this? This is pretty brazen, but arguably he did brazen things. But again, I, I don't know that it makes any difference because it's it's all baked into the, the Trump persona. And I understand he always denies this stuff. I mean, candidly, I mean, the Stormy Daniels thing, you know, he says, no, we didn't have a relationship. I don't believe him when he says that. I mean, I I have no doubt. You know, he's at the celebrity golf tournament at the time. He's like a B-level celebrity and she's there. I, I have no doubt that the two of them probably did did do something in that hotel room that night. Dan in Watertown. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing today? I am well, thank you. What do you think of all this? It's, um, well, yeah, clearly, I don't know how many more women have to come forward. And and don't forget, uh, Mr. Trump has admitted himself that he does this sort of thing. Um, I, I guess I'd ask you as a Republican. I'm a former Republican. I'm, I'm an independent mm-hmm. conservative. But how many more people have to come forward? before Republicans will actually take the charges serious. Well, I think that, I mean, I, I think people do take the charges seriously. It's just baked in. I mean, don't, don't you? I mean, I think people, I I, I, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of people that say, yeah, this this guy, he's a cad. He's a lout. He he behaves right. in a, you know, it, he over the years has behaved in a terrible fashion towards towards women. And I don't think people care. That's my that's my kind of thing. Yeah, that's what I guess what I'm saying is it's kind of sad. How many will it take? What would it take for people to care? So the Republican Party doesn't care mm-hmm. if just because he's got an R after his name, they're willing to mm-hmm. bypass all this just so they can win the White House. Again. Well, just just Holy like the, just God. like well, yeah, but just like Democrats didn't care about Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky in the White House. Doesn't matter anymore. Huh? Holy cow! Well, no, th- thanks. No, and I'm, thanks, and I'm not trying to be flip. But but that's that's sort of where we are. I'm I'm, I'm reading this book about Richard Holbrook, who was uh, a UN ambassador. He was a he, he's he's been a, a uh, an advisor to he passed away a couple of years ago, but he's been an advisor to uh, Democrat presidents over over the years, going back to, to Vietnam and stuff. And it's and it's sort of interesting. And they're talking about how he's working at these different administrations and all, and and how. You know, disappointed a lot of people were internally with Bill Clinton, who, you know, the, the last couple of years when there's all this serious stuff going on in the world, that the whole country is just distracted by um, distracted by, you know, what he's doing in the Oval Office with an intern and then lying about it and all. And it's I, I guess. Yeah, I, I don't know that we I don't know that we care. And, and to me, that's kind of the point. I've made this point about the whole Stormy Daniels thing and all this with all the Michael Cohn and the fixing and stuff. I just. You know, Trump's response to all this stuff is that he just denies it. That's it. I'm going to deny it. I'm going to deny it. Who are you going to believe me or your lying eyes? But I've always said this about the Stormy Daniels stuff. I, I, I think his big mistake was deciding that he had to pay her hush money. I mean, if, if he would have come out a month before the election and said, yes, back in 2007, we had a consensual affair. We had a one-night stand. I'm sorry I did it. It doesn't reflect well on me, but, yeah, it, it happened. Boom. I don't think it would cost him one vote. I, I just don't. I, I think this this image of the playboy Donald Trump is, is baked in. And I understand this is a, a different level, but I guess that the bottom line of this is that it is unfortunate, I guess, that this lady, if this really did in fact happen, and she was, and if you read the details of her allegation, she's essentially saying she was raped in in this in this dressing room. If she was raped by Donald Trump, it is unfortunate that she decided, you know, not to 
not to go to authorities or not to call store security or not to do something at the time and then waited 20 some years before this happened. I don't know if it happened or not. I I don't. I I think that, uh, again, you know, with all these different allegations that are out there about President Trump, you know, was he guilty of misbehavior? Was he guilty perhaps of crimes decades ago with regard to women? Maybe so. I, I don't know one way or the other. I guess to me, this latest story is kind of, all right, if you believe Donald Trump is a cad and a lout, yes, you will believe this story. If you are a Trump supporter, even if you believe the story, it's probably not going to make any difference. But that's where American politics is nowadays. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner. Here's a couple of texts. Jeff, you really shouldn't discredit this woman without knowing the facts. It takes years for a lot of these women to come forward. And I appreciate that. At the same time... I mean, I don't know what happened. At the same time, keep in mind, this particular revelation is in the context of of, of a book that, that she's written. It's not like it's somebody that's coming forward. I've agonized over this for years and years. It, I mean, she's trying to sell books, and, and that's the books. It's a, it's a tell-all book. Um, Jeff, she just wants to make money selling books. I mean, you heard what Trump said, his locker room talk with Billy Bush on that bus. I wouldn't put it past him, but it seems fishy now. Anyone could say anything about anyone then. Here's another text. Jeff, I'm not a Trump fan, but what happened to the idea of innocent until proven guilty? No evidence supporter claims, and unfortunately, if it did happen, she should stay silent about it, um, etc. Uh, Jeff, it makes a difference if Trump did this last week. Prior to, I'm, I'm certain it happened, and I'm certain I think she probably welcomed it. It was Trump. He had his money, you know, women like that attention. I'm a lady, and I'm tired of these women trying to capitalize something they consented on. Um, I, I don't know if that's the case at all or not. Jeff, she's trying to sell a book. Not only did it happen over 20 years ago, Trump has been president for two and a half years. Why didn't she come out with it when he was a presidential candidate? Only now because she's trying to sell her book. All right. Bottom line of all this, and I guess this is the point I was making, is I, I think I think opinions on President Trump and his behavior, his sexual behavior, especially prior to getting into office, I think it's kind of baked into the, the Trump equation one way or the other. All right. When we come back, why in the world would anybody buy an electric car? I want to tell you a story. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa, are you working Summerfest? Are you going to be down on the Summerfest? We will. John and I will be, yeah, down there every single day. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that's... We could invite her to join us, maybe. So oh yeah, Gru, Gru, I could uh, come down early. Well, no, well, no, no. Here's here's the deal. Gru and I just made a date. Now, oh. you know, not there's anything wrong with it, but actually, so, so the deal. Summerfest starts Wednesday. Sure. Um, and actually, the forecast. I'm looking at the long range forecast for my buddy Don Smiley, and it doesn't look like any day's really a washout. I mean, there's there's a little bit of rain in the forecast for almost every day, but nothing nothing big. So I just um, talked to Brian Nisnansky over at TMJ, yeah. and he said things are looking great. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was at this wedding on Saturday. Don Smiley was sitting behind me, and we were just talking about this tradition of burying the bottle he you know that, that guarantees good weather yeah but you, you got to do it <laughs> but you got to do it 30 days beforehand I said next year we'll, we'll do it um, okay, <laughs> okay but no but here's the deal so Thursday there is an early Brewers game so our, I mean we 12:30 I have a shortened show only 20 25 minutes and the the powers that be have decided that they want me to go down to Summerfest grounds and do the show from Summerfest yeah even though it's only a half hour show and that's okay I'm 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 fine grew 
even though it's a half-hour show, has decided he's taking off that day because he's going to the Outlaw Music Festival, which is that thing all day. That whole festival, I am in love with it. That whole thing looks so good, right, Gru? Yeah, my uh, my favorite. Well, my favorite band uh, is playing at two o'clock. So is it Avett Brothers? Uh, no, it's two bands before that. It's oh. Dawes. D A W E S. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so he's taking off there. So he so he's coming down. I'm there for a half hour, and Mrs. Gru is going to be with him. And I'm thinking. This is one where maybe I can talk uh, Mrs. Wagner into coming down with yeah. me, you know, because it's only a half-hour show, and mm-hmm. we'll hook up with you. And he actually started by saying, I'll buy the beer. So at least... There we go. You yeah, cannot absolutely. deny that. I, that you know, I, well, it, <laughs> that's a rarity when that happens, Well, right? yeah, it's, it's also... It, we'll see, because I feel kind of guilty about that. But I appreciate, I appreciate the sentiment. But yeah, <laughs> so if you want on Thursday... You come down early, you know, because yeah. you're you're gonna, you're gonna have an abbreviated show because yeah. you're probably not going to get to till four thirty or five or whatever. So, but if you want to come down early, um, we're we're going to be hanging out. Bring your boyfriend along, you know. Yeah. We'll, we'll we'll hang out on Summerfest grounds. Well, he has to work, so oh, tell him to take, I, what, come I'll on, take the day off, take the day off. I know, Absolutely. but I'll definitely come down early and hang out with you guys Absolutely. for a while because so I'll be down there anyway. So yeah, so I mean that's 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 it. So well, it's fun. yes. We're, um, so if you are coming down to Summerfest, be sure to stop by the mobile broadcast facility or what i call the big talking box because we are going to be broadcasting live um like i say the first day i'm going to have, don smiley is going to be joining me at 105 we we do this in the first day of Summerfest all the time um but i'll be there brief show because there's a brewers game like i say in the afternoon on thursday and then we'll be back on friday and then uh next tuesday and wednesday for sure um keep in mind Summerfest is closed on monday but uh, you know a wide variety of acts one of the complaints that people have with Summerfest is that well you know it's expensive to get in and stuff to which i i always say if in all honesty if you're paying full price to get in Summerfest, you're not really trying hard enough. I mean, I there, there are so many different deals that they have and, and opportunities to get discount tickets or free tickets or things like that, that just with a little bit of planning, but my guess is that you should be able to, to make it work out. Now, obviously, if you don't have tickets and you decide that you want to go down for a, a 10 o'clock show on a Friday night, well, okay, be prepared to wait a little bit of time to get in. But, but in general, I, I think Summerfest does a very, very good job. Of, of getting people in and, and making it, you know, making it affordable. I would also encourage some people, maybe if you haven't been for a while and maybe you're turned off by crowds or whatever, come down during the day and stop off and say hi. I mean, I, candidly, we're going to go um, seeing one main stage act this year. We're going to see Lionel Richie, uh, who's playing July 2nd. But but otherwise, I, I love the one of my typical things is okay. I get done after my show at three o'clock, and I just kind of love wandering around the grounds. In general, they are not as crowded at three o'clock on a Thursday or a Friday afternoon as they're going to be on a Thursday or Friday night or whatever. So you're not waiting quite as much. There's almost never huge lines to get the stuff, and you can hear some interesting bands and some good music and enjoy the weather. So. Bottom line is, whether you want to come down for Summerfest for a couple hours in the afternoon or whether you want to be hardcore and get there at noon and leave at midnight, or alternatively, you love to come down and fight the crowds at the 10 o'clock shows to see the hip and trendy bands, whatever it is, enjoy Summerfest. It is a wonderful tradition. And every time I go down there, I just, and this is from the perspective of somebody who has been going to Summerfest essentially since there was a Summerfest. And I mean, I grew up around here and I... I mean, I, I remember those early days of Summerfest. 
people say that they were at Lambeau Field for the Ice Bowl in 1967. I don't know about that. But I was at the Summerfest main stage the night that George Carlin got arrested for saying the seven words that you can't say on TV or in Milwaukee. I was there the closing night at Summerfest of what they call the Humble Pie Riots, where things kind of got out of control. I mean, I was there when that main stage you know, used to be free and open to all, and it was just benches, and it was mud, and it was like stones on, on the north end of the grounds. I mean, I, I remember all that stuff. I, whenever I walk up and down the grounds, I am always amazed – See, I, I remember when there there really weren't fixed bathrooms, or there weren't too many. It used to be pretty much all porta potties, and now you look at the infrastructure that's been created, and you look at all the improvements of the grounds they're making. And and again, I I understand there's some people who say, well, you know, Summerfest, I've you know I've been there, done that. If you haven't been there for a few years, you should really go back and check it out, and you will be. You'll just be amazed at, at the constant capital improvements that they're making, and that's one of the reasons why. And believe me, I wouldn't say this if I didn't believe it. I'm just, I'm so impressed with the current management of Summerfest, who've been able to keep Summerfest going. There have been music festivals that come and go. And, you know, Summerfest, what, 50 years or, or whatever, it's just been, it's been amazing. It's because you have a lot of people who have this foresight. And, yes, it, it's about booking, you know, hip and trendy bands or shows that people want to see. But it's also about making it a positive experience for people. And that comes a lot with the infrastructure. And I, I think the stewardship of Summerfest has been excellent. So bottom line is, come on down, say hi. If you see us wandering around on Thursday afternoon and you want to see what Gru looks like, well, he'll be the guy with the beard next to me. And maybe we'll be there. Mrs. Wagner, Fran would probably love that. She, she, for some reason, she just absolutely adores you, Gru. So, you know, there there you go. You got that going for you. All right. When we come back, why in the world would anybody buy an electric car? A cautionary tale. Stick around. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, Gru, when you offered to buy, you didn't know it was Throwback Thursday, which is like half price on beers and stuff? I learned that uh, this past weekend. Oh, okay. Well, all right. Well, then I might let you buy. I wouldn't. Exactly. All right. Now, I, I was there, I think it was last year, and a couple of my buddies, Steve and Evan, came down and met me, and it was, I mean, it was it was a great deal. I mean, beers were half price and stuff, and you don't want to do stupid stuff and all that, but it does, It you know, it, it's easier to buy a round when it's five bucks instead of ten, or it's four bucks you know, instead of eight or whatever that would be. You and know? it's more food, well, more whatever. Absolutely. All right. Count us in. That is on Thursday. And if you see us, stay high. Summerfest is coming up. Andy sends me a text. She says, Jeff, tell me when you've been to a concert or numerous for less than 150 bucks. You know, that really is is a point as well. I mean, I, I think to the sh- about the shows I go to and... You know, most of them, especially like the arena events and all, tend to be pricey. You know, whether it's Paul McCartney or Jimmy Buffett or or whatever. Summerfest is a great deal. All right. I have a, a friend, guy used to work here, used to work in our sales department, and he and I used to have friendly discussions about electric cars. He was one of the first people around that, that bought a, a Tesla. And now, I'm not talking about the hybrids. I'm not talking about the, uh, you know, the electric thing and then the gas motor. I'm talking about the pure electric car. And, and I always said I didn't get it. And he said he didn't get what I didn't get about this, you know. And I, I'm thinking, okay, these these things are really, really expensive, even with the taxpayer subsidy. But to me, the biggest concern about an electric car was n- not not just the expense, but it was the the fact that you can't go that far on a charge. 
And, and I was sitting there thinking, okay, because, I mean, there's gas stations all over. You're, you know, you're driving around. You, you need to find a gas station. Boom. You pull in. You fill it up. You know, electric car, well, you're out and about, and I don't know, you got to run a few more errands or whatever, and then, you know, what, what do you end up doing? So anyhow, there's a story that appeared in the New York Times, of all places, and the Milwaukee Business Journal has reprinted this, about, well, it's called Fear and Loathing at the Charging Station. A road trip. And this this is why I don't think electric cars are ready for prime time yet. Our numbers, by the way, are 414-799-1620. Okay, here, here's the deal. Most electric cars need to be recharged after they've traveled about 200 to 250 miles. Okay, that's a much smaller distance than a, than a gasoline vehicle can 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 run on a full tank. In addition, charging an electric car can under the best of circumstances take an hour. It can also take several hours. And and that's assuming that you can find a charger. So what what the author of this story did is they hopped into a Chevrolet Bolt. Now the Bolt is the the first this is the brand new lineup of the General Motors, you know, this is their all electric car. The hatchback costs about $37,500 before the tax breaks. They say it can travel 240 miles on a full charge. So what they decide to do is they're going to drive this car from Los Angeles to Las Vegas, which for people who live in Las Vegas, Los Angeles, this is kind of a, it is a common trip. And what they, they talk about, it normally would take a, about eight hours to drive from from L.A. to Las Vegas. And then without going into all the details, matter of fact, I'll tweet out a link to this story. Um, what they found is, in addition to the eight hours that they were on the road, it took them about five and a half hours of extra time charging the car. And then they go on and talk about how, in one case, the, they, they found a charging station and the Bolt couldn't accept the faster charging speeds. In the other one, the uh, charger was um, faster than the Bolt's charging things. So what they talk about is how you know they would pull into some of these charging places, and sometimes there'd only be a handful of these, so you'd have to wait an hour or two to plug your car in, and then it would take an hour or two to get the thing charged. So they talk about how, well, we wandered around Whiskey Pete's Casino at the Nevada-California border on another stop we checked out the world's tallest thermometer near death valley all the while we're, we're waiting for the thing to charge and and it goes on and on and on and they're talking about how again if you can find one of these places to charge your car and you have you have to really plan this out well what happens is you know it's going to take you a lot longer on top of it what they said was it, it wasn't as cheap as had been um as had been promised because they said that um, what they estimated in the real life doing this trip it cost them $67 on electricity $67 on electricity they estimated it would have cost 80 bucks on gas so you've got hours and hours of delays you've got half of the mileage and for all that you end up saving you know maybe 10 or 12 dollars 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk or Text Line. Look, I I appreciate the concept of electric cars. My point has been 
I don't think we are close to being in a position where these electric cars are really practical for most of us. Now, maybe if if you're never going to take them on on any lengthy trip, maybe if you're all you're going to do is use your electric car to you know spin around town and do a couple pickups at grocery stores and getting the dry cleaning and maybe taking the kids to the local school, maybe then it works. But of course, it's an awful expensive at thirty seven thousand dollars for a hatchback. It's an awful expensive thing for you know something like that just to putt putt around town. But for most of us. I think we like the option of, okay, I've got the car, so this weekend we're going up to Door County, or this weekend we're going to go visit our friend in Stevens Point, or this weekend we're going to drive down and go to the horse track in, in Arlington, or, hey, we're going to take the car on vacation to Florida. As a practical matter, these electric cars just just don't work right now. A battery life of 200 miles or less just Again, for most normal people, I don't think that's satisfactory. Waiting by a wayside for two hours at a charger, waiting for the car to charge, instead of pulling into the gas station, going to the bathroom, getting a soda, coming out, filling up your car, and being on your way in 10 minutes. I I just don't think these e-cars are anywhere near they need to be, where they need to be. And candidly, I don't know if they're going to be that way anytime in the near future. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, would you still buy an electric car knowing that your uses are going to be dramatically limited? For, and I'm not talking about hybrids. Hybrids are a different story. These are the all-electric vehicles, the Chevy Bolts, the Teslas, whatever. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Because i got to tell you, I, I read this story, and it, it's, it's every concern that I ever had about an electric car just magnified. 414-799-1620, this is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So glad to have you with I, I I thought I said um, eight hours round trip L.A. to Vegas, not one way. It's eight to nine hours. But bottom line is in this story, um, the eight-hour round trip, they spent five and a half additional hours charging up the vehicle, including various delays at places like, hey, it's the world's largest thermometer. And they go on to talk about other stories about how, in many cases, they were lucky because there were a limited number of charging stations. Look, maybe this is the future. Maybe this is 10 or 20 years from now. I just don't see it right now. Wendy in Janesville. Hi, Wendy. Hi. Um, my son has a Tesla. That was his dream car. He's had it a uh, couple years now. And they've gone from Wisconsin to Texas. They've gone uh, Wisconsin to Nebraska. That's their only vehicle, and they have no problems with it at all. It maybe takes a hair more research. Um, you can always tell where the charging stations are. They also have a dog, and it allows the dog a little break. That's his potty time, time to run around. And they looked at it more as an environmental car than an economical car. Well, and and I guess, look, if if people want to spend the dough and do that, I I understand it. I guess I just don't think for most of us, I I, I don't want to spend an extra hour and a half or two hours adding that to a trip every four hours for a charging station. And I, I I think more people are on my wavelength right now. 
Oh, I think they are. It's a choice you have to make before you purchase that. Vehicle. Oh, yeah. You have to know that going in. Right. No, thanks. And I guess that's my only point. I just, I just don't understand. I think, look, I, I think right now electric cars are going to remain the George Jetson type of stuff until they figure out a way to increase the battery life. I mean, I, I think until you can figure out a way that if, if the internal combustion engine, your car can get 500 miles before you have to fill it up, I, I think they got to figure out a way to get close to that. And, I mean, again, I'm looking at these horror stories of, of assuming you can find a charging station. And Wendy's right. I guess you got to map it out. You know, you, you got to plot it out. But then, you know, you find the charging station. And then what happens if other people at the charging station or the idea that, well, I've got to carry all these adapters or the idea that it's going to take, you know, two to two and a half hours to charge the car so I can go another few hundred miles. I just don't think most people want to do it. Now, look, I, I want to give my dog a break, too. But, I mean, I'm in a hurry to get where I'm going. And until you can figure out a way to make it a comparable experience to being able to go to the bathroom, put the gas thing in, fill it up, and, and then go on. I, I don't think for the average person that it's going to be a, a choice, especially when you're talking $37,000 for a hatchback you know, Chevy Bolt. I, I'm, I'm just saying. I think they need to make the cars cheaper, and you also need to increase the battery life because, to me, that's the biggest hesitation. Like I say, if you want to putt-putt around town, Oh, okay, that that's great. Then you plug it into your garage, and, and maybe that's what the answer is. But thirty-seven thousand dollars for a hatchback is an expensive. That's an expensive downstroke on something that you're just going to putt putt around town in. Just saying. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, Shopco was originally founded in Green Bay in nineteen sixty two. At at one point in time, they had I, I think primarily in the Upper Midwest over three hundred fifty stores employing thousands and thousands of people. Um, they all went out of business, um, and and all Shopcos. All the, the traditional Shopco's, I think they still have a Shopco optical, but the, the traditional Shopco stores, the last ones closed yesterday. All the going out of business sales are done. Shopco is history. What happened? Was it the Internet or was it something else? And when you're thinking about this, I mean, especially I'd be curious if you were a Shopco shopper, you know, what happened? Because, you know, you've had some stores the, for example, the Kmart's of the world, which have you know gone the, the same sort of route that Shopgo was taking. Um, on the other hand, you've had other stores, whether it's the WalMarts or uh, you know uh, Targets or whatever, that continue to thrive. So uh, you know Fleet Farm or Farm and Fleet, you know those are all those are stores that I always think of as being kind of similar to Shopgo, and, and they're still around. So what happened to Shopgo? Marty in Fond du Lac, Marty, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Well, hi. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, what do you think? Well, you know, we when I was a kid, we started shopping. I think with Shopco, much of it got started since it was 1962. Yep. And I think my parents, we always bought school supplies there and clothes. It was like a little regional department store. Had a little bit of everything. Right. They used to have great commercials. Um, it, it's just it's like a localized store. I think as time went by, they wanted to get bigger. And I think they kind of lost their focus. Because for quite a while there, they they really raised their prices, and then they were trying the Kohl's gambit of running big sales. Right. And so when you went in there to buy this stuff, it was like you're looking at the price and say, listen, 
this is what it should be worth in the first place, but right. then they were telling you they had 40% off. Right. I thought they had a great idea with the little stores, because uh, I worked in Chill, Wisconsin, and they put one there a few years ago, and there wasn't anything like that there. Right. But I still think the original thought process of they raised the prices and tried to, to lure them like cold just right. never took they, off, they, they and tried they lost to, it. They tried to be something that they really weren't, you know, and then they kind of lost the original idea. Yeah, you know, I don't think the Internet, you know, yeah, I know it affected all stores, but I don't think that Shopko can use that as the reason yeah. why they lost what they had. Yeah. It's it just, it, it isn't for them to do that. Yeah, no, thanks. No, I, no I, thanks for going, Marty. Marty, I agree with you because I, I mean, look, I understand the Internet affects shopping, and I understand the Internet has contributed to closures. I don't think that Shopko's problem. I, I think, actually, I kind of agree with you. I think. Shopko sort of lost its way and tried to figure out what it was going to be. And, and inst- I mean, okay, you, you look at like Fleet Farm and Farm and Fleet, those, those type of places, you know, they, they are what they are. And, you know, they're very successful and they have a niche. All right, you know, Shopko, well, I don't think Shopko was ever geared to compete with, with the targets of the world. I mean, Target has, in my opinion, it's kind of a different niche. Uh, Jeff, I work for Shopko, this is the text, and the answer is easy. The company, having been publicly traded, was purchased by a venture capital company in 2005, which immediately started stripping the cash from the company. They've been doing that for the last 14 years until there was only a lot of debt left. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Bob in Waukesha. Hi, Bob. Hey, Jeff, how are you? I'm well, thank you. What happened to Shopko? Good. I, you know, Jeff, I have to tell you, we re- relocated here in 1999 from Miami, Florida. Oh. And and I personally have never even been in a Shopko. <laughs> so so I, I'm not sure if uh, uh, there was any marketing effort, uh, and, and uh, I, I simply, uh-huh. I'm, I'm simply at a loss. When when you go to Bob when it, when you go to a big box retailer, assuming you do, what 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 would be the big box type of retailers that that you would go to? Uh, Walmart, uh, Home Depot, okay, yeah, Menards, right, okay, but never Shopco just wasn't on your radar. Uh, absolutely not. Nope. Huh. You know, interesting, and so that's and, and again, it's. Um, well, you know, Shopko really, I mean, it had a presence in, like, Green Bay, the Green Bay were, and Oshkosh and Appleton and things like that. I, I mean, there were Shopkos around here, I think probably less of a presence, but um, it, i got to tell you, it was a big deal, and you never even heard of it since you moved here in 1999, or it's not on your yeah. radar screen. No, I've driven by. Yeah. I, I think they have one in Darien or Elkhorn. Uh, in, in my travels, I would drive by, but never I have never been inside of one. Well, that, that that probably says a lot in and of itself. <laughs> Thanks for the call, Bob. I appreciate it. 414-799-1620. If you've lived in this area, it's not like he's a newcomer. If you've lived in this area for 20 years and you go, I've never even heard of this Shopko type of thing, Dan in Hortonville. Hi, Dan. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I think a lot of it has to do with their seasonal stock rotation. Uh, I can remember going in uh, in, a, in February looking for some seasonal item, um, and it was already gone for the, for the season, but I could have bought grass seed, and they had bikinis out. They had yeah. uh, you know, swim floats. I can go on the Internet, buy it any time of year, and have it at my house in two days and free shipping. Yeah. Doesn't that drive you crazy? I mean, so many stores would, would do that. I, I I know exactly what you're talking about, and, and other stores would do it too. Okay, it's it's February. 
it's you know early February in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where we're looking at another two months of months of winter. I'm walking in looking for a parka or something, and and all you're seeing is like the swimwear that you're probably, if you're lucky, you're going to be using it in July. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, thanks for the call. You know, it's stock rotation in in general. I think they lost their way, and I guess that's where I think the the cautionary tale is. I I think I understand that businesses you you have to you have to be willing to change with the times, and and you have to be willing to be open to new things, etc., etc. But I think sometimes businesses get lost when they decide we're going to make radical changes and we're going to go away from, their, from our roots. I mean, think of how many restaurants get in trouble when they're, they're, they're a nice little restaurant and then they go way into debt and they, they add all this space on and it changes the character of the restaurant and they can't fill up the room and then two years later they close down. I mean, think of all that. Um, think about the restaurants that change their menus dramatically because, oh, well, we hear people want this or that or the other thing and it never works and they either go back to their roots or they go under. I, I think the same thing is true in, in retail as well, that you, you got to figure out what you are and then you got to do it really, really well, which, like I say, that's why I think like the fleet farms and the farm and fleets and, and those places they know what they are, and yeah, you 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 know you're going to go in there and you can get tires, and you know you can go in there and you're going to get the you know whatever whatever it is you need. You know what the experience is going to be like. I think Shopko lost its way, and it's it's just too bad. It's too bad for the thousands and thousands of people who who lost their jobs. It's also too bad for the communities. Um, Trevor in Cedarburg says, Jeff, I stopped by Shopko near my work. Before they closed, I looked at a pair of Dickies work pants. They were twenty dollars more than at Walmart. That was just ten minutes up the road. I think in some cases they overpriced themselves out of business. Yeah, something to that as well. All right, this is Jeff Wagner. Back with more in just a minute. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, for the good first part of last week, I, I wasn't sure if I had this cold coming on or if it was like allergies, because I know a lot of people have an allergy problems. And Thursday night at the baseball game, it kind of blew up into this monster cold. And so, for the last couple of days, I really hadn't been feeling good. I mean, the monster head cold and all this congestion in my chest, and I'm just kind of tired of coughing and things like that. I'm, I'm on the getting better side. It, it's I'm, it might not sound that way, but I'm on the getting better side. But I finally decided to stop fooling around. So this morning. I had to go to the pharmacy to pick something else up, and I'm looking at the the. the I've, I've just been like getting the over the counter, you know, medications, the sinus stuff, not the good stuff behind the counter. So I, I'm there, and today I said, "Hey, that that stuff with the pseudoephedrine, the stuff that really works. I want some of that." So you know, they they have to because they're. They're afraid that you're going to be, you know, turning it into methamphetamine. You know, I have to give them my driver's license and register. But I now have, I have grew. I got the good stuff here. Now I haven't taken any of the good stuff because I want to wait till I get off the air. But going to get home, assuming my wife tells. I it, it all depends on whether she tells us we have. I'm telling we have to go out or not. But assuming we don't have to go out, I've got the good stuff here. You know, chase this down with a little bit of Jack Daniels bourbon whiskey, and I will be breathing through my nose for the first time probably in a few days. That's So if you wonder how Jeff Wagner spends his Monday night, that's probably about what it's going to be. I'm going to take the good sinus pill, you know, so hopefully I'll be able to breathe for a little bit. I'm on the getting better side. The um, The NBA awards here tonight, hopefully we'll find out that Giannis wins the MVP award. I, I do... 
every once in a while, there's an issue that I really don't care about one way or the other, except it just demonstrates the insanity of political correctness. All right. You own your home. You own your car. You own your dog. All right. That, that right. You, you refer to it as an owners. The the people, the, the Green Bay Packers are owned by the shareholders. The Milwaukee Brewers are owned by Mark Atanasio and his ownership group. All right. That's that's how we refer to the teams. They are they are owned and there are owners. The NBA has just announced that they are they are banning the term owners and and the people who own the various or at least up until recently have owned the various basketball teams. They are no longer going to be referred to as owners. They are going to be referred to as governors. And the reason and and I swear I'm not making this up. The NBA commissioner says that because the NBA is a league that is composed primarily, not exclusively, but primarily of African-American players, he is sensitive to the idea of owners and African-American players because of implications of slavery. I'm not making this up. So now the NBA, the, the people that previously we would have thought they owned the team, they are not owners. They are governors. So, you know, you... you we no longer refer to them as, as owners. It's, it's governors. They are going to govern the team. <sighs> Owner, governor. I mean, look, I guess here's where it drives me crazy. There, there's so many real issues when you deal with, like, you know, racism and things like that in the world. And there's so many things, real things that people should get concerned about that we're really going to spend time now saying, well, okay, people that own the basketball team, we can't refer to them as owners because somebody might think that that's got attributions to slavery. Really? I mean, I, I don't know. What what's next? Am I am I the governor of my condo? Am I the governor of my dog? Don't want Sasha to get offended. I don't know. It's two fifty five when we come back. We're gonna find out what John McCure has on his mind on Wisconsin's afternoon news. Please stick around.